Welcome to Living Water Radio. What food do you eat that other people might consider gross? Whole cultures have such foods, but we eat them and we enjoy them. They have meaning for us that goes beyond the things themselves. What foods do Christians eat that other people might consider gross? Today, we'll find out what and why. My name is Pastor David Burkettall. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is a Christian Church Disciples of Christ, United Church of Christ ordained minister, focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California, and in San Dimas, California for over 40 years. Today, maintaining our yard is my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the more than 100 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. Between the two of us, we have over 80 years of ordained ministry experience. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. My favorite lunch is built around a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Today, though, I'm having two foods that I like that other people might consider gross. Sauerkraut and pickled herring and sour cream. Sauerkraut is finely cut cabbage that has been fermented. It has lots of vitamins and beneficial bacteria for gut health. I especially like it with a little caraway seed. You can make your own or buy it fresh or canned in grocery stores, and it has a long shelf life, though the fresh kind needs to be refrigerated. Our favorite restaurant in L.A., Nate and Al Delicatessen in Beverly Hills, used to put sauerkraut on the table with the pickles as soon as you sat down. They still provide it for free, but you have to ask for it. I guess that many people thought it was gross. It can be eaten on a sandwich or on its own. Mmm. Herring in sour cream is just pickled herring in a sour cream sauce with some onions. You can also make your own or buy it in grocery stores in a refrigerated section. You get the health benefits of fish as well as the dairy goodness of sour cream. Mmm. Some people think it's gross, but hey, lots of people eat sushi, right? Every culture has foods from their history that are meaningful to them, and many people eat them, but which other people might think is gross. Haggis, chitlins, lutefisk, gross, gross. Well, lutefisk is pretty good, but most people think it's gross. One of my uncles liked pickled pig's feet. Pickled Pig's feet. Gross. They came in a big jar, and you could buy them in bars and mom-and-pop grocery stores when I was growing up. Well, certain kinds of bars and mom-and-pop grocery stores. They were available right next to the pickled hard-boiled eggs. Also gross. I once ate raw pickled octopus. I had been studying in Israel in college, though we were in another country. We followed our American academic schedule, and so we had a break for Thanksgiving. Most of our group went to live on a kibbutz and pick oranges, but my friend Larry and I decided to take a trip on our own. We took a bus to Sharm el-Sheikh on the Sinai Peninsula, which was controlled by Israel at the time. It was warm at that time of year, and so we slept on the beach with a bunch of other students from all over the world. In the morning, we gathered our backpacks and took a bus to a city on the map called Dahab, which looked like a jumping-off point for the road across the desert into Mount Sinai. 
We got off the bus at around 4 o'clock p.m. and found there was no city, only a sign. And the road was just a path, really, a military road that the Israeli army used for patrols. We met a Bedouin man there who agreed to guide us across the desert to St. Catherine's, Catherine's, a monastery at the base of a mountain. We walked all night, walking in three-hour stretches and resting for one half hour. When we ran out of water, he shared his from a five-gallon former olive oil tin that he carried with two fingers. We arrived at St. Catherine's and the surrounding village at about 10 o'clock a.m. We gave him some money for his trip to the dentist there and our deepest thanks. We arrived at the monastery with almost no money and no food or water. There was an argument between the receiving monk and the cook over whether feeding tourists was part of their ministry, but in the end, they brought us to the kitchen. I think that they made bread once a week, and we were there on the sixth day. So they gave us some stale bread. They put plates of some disgusting brown thing in front of us, and I asked Larry what he thought it was. He said, I think that this is one of those times when it's better to eat first and ask questions later, which we did. We later found out that it was raw pickled octopus. Gross. But when you're hungry, it's appreciated. We were at a point this summer in the three-year cycle of the revised common lectionary used by most churches around the world where bread was the theme of the gospel lesson for five weeks in a row. Nestled in there were these words of Jesus in John 6, 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He expands on these words after some questions were raised with uh, John 6, beginning at the 53rd verse. So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. Gross, right? The early Christians were accused of cannibalism by their ignorant and or hostile opponents. Even today, Christians in places where Christianity is newly forming are accused of the same thing. I don't think that Jesus is speaking primarily about Holy Communion here. I think he is speaking of the restoration of an intimately personal relationship with God that is made possible by the cross. Later Christians, however, would find these words meaningful in terms of what Holy Communion means. We believe that the forms of bread and wine in the sacrament or sacred event of Holy Communion don't chemically change, even as Jesus is present in, with, and under those forms. But whatever Christians believe about the mechanics of Holy Communion, we believe it is Holy Communion. We commune with the one true Holy God in a sacrament begun and commanded by Jesus. 
In this sacrament, as 16th century church reformer Martin Luther writes in his small catechism, we receive forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. But Luther says, it is not eating and drinking that does this, but the words given and shed for you for the remission of sins. He put those last words in bold. These words, Luther says, along with eating and drinking, are the main thing in the sacrament. And whoever believes these words has exactly what they say, forgiveness of sins. Gross can also mean something big, and forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation are about as big as you can get. We commune with God in, with, and under the forms of bread and wine in the sacrament of Holy Communion, and we receive the full benefits of the grace of God. This is our 144th podcast. As a unit of measurement, 144 is a gross. It's 12 times 12. Numerology was part of the biblical worldview. That is, they believed that numbers had meaning just as words did. The number 12 conveyed wholeness and perfect completeness. It is seen in the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples of Jesus. The number 1,000 conveyed a sense of hugeness as it was used in many instances in the Old Testament. In the Bible's book of Revelation, its final book, we see a vision of the last days and of the final judgment of humanity by God in highly symbolic terms written during a time of Roman persecution of Christians. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, we read of those who will be saved. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed out of every tribe of the people of Israel. The number 144,000 is a gross, 12 times 12, times 1,000. It conveys the meaning of the right number, which will be hugely large. So, when we say something is gross, we could say that it is disgusting, like when my grandpa Burkadal once advised, David, when you're crossing the 8th Street Bridge by Lake Michigan and you look up to see the seagulls, remember to keep your mouth shut. Gross. However, Christians also say that if something is gross, it's something huge, like receiving forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation and Holy Communion. And Christians say that it could also mean the occasion to praise God for God's gross, great justice, grace, and mercy in the Last Judgment. Gross can carry many meanings, but I'm going to go with the gross forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation, and the great gross grace of God for the foundation of a life that endures, and I hope you will, too. Today, let's remember to pray for all those who have yet to get the vaccine, because they are most at risk to themselves and to others. And let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer today, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at the Revs David and Sally at gmail.com, or send us a tweet to at David Burkadall, and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to the same addresses, and we'll include them next time. Send your comments there as well. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated. Open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, 
the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune in to the worship services they have available and support your church financially so that it will be there when we come back to fully physically present worship together. Support your pastor and church leaders. Pray for them and help them in any way that you can. If you or a loved one are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home, practice social distancing, wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Stay at home unless you are providing essential services or need them. Avoid crowds and be outside if you have to be in a crowd. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, especially those who are sacrificing their security to provide for yours. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together during this global pandemic. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated. <music>